L-A-S. The LAS Podcast Network is an independent network of local creators based in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. For more, visit LASPodcastNetwork.com. Oh, hey there, bud. I'm Craig Johnson, the host of Creating Crap with Craig, the new bi-weekly podcast here on the LAS Podcast Network. Every episode, I'll be talking with a new creative person from painters to musicians, designers to writers, in an interview-style format with hard-hitting, burning questions such as, How are you? Do you have any pets? And also, why? So join me as I bully all of my friends and family into coming on my show so I finally have someone to talk to. Creating Crap with Craig will release every other Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you find your podcasts. And if you want to help support our endeavors, subscribe to LAS+. For more information, go to laspodcastnetwork.com. Creating Crap with Craig, where we love both alliteration and creation. L-A-S Welcome to Friends with Marketing Benefits. I am Craig Johnson. That's right. It's me this time, not Alex. I've taken over. I've kicked him out of the studio. He's no longer here. He's been fired for something. I don't know. I'll come up with it later in post. Oh, it'll be good. Poor guy. I, poor, you know, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. He's, he's cute. He'll make it. He'll survive out on the streets. It'll be fine. That lovely voice you just heard is uh, my co-host here, Logan Adam Schultz. Logan, hi, hi, How hello. So good to see you. I'm so glad I'm not fired. It's I'm I, you know I had to keep someone. <laughs> it was it was a coin toss. I mean, if you got rid of me, it would just be creating crap with Craig. It would it would be it literally just would be. Uh, yes, because I am definitely the one who is always on this podcast and the host of this podcast all the time. You have not missed a single episode. <laughs> Never haven't missed a single one. But uh, here I am to guide you through this. And today we are joined by a special guest that I will let Logan do the honors of introducing Logan. Who is sitting diagonally from me? I'm sitting diagonally. Well, nope, you're sitting you're diagonally. <laughs> I'm sitting across from um, a friend that I invited onto the show who has some marketing benefits to share, Rob Klein. Rob, how are you? I am doing well, but wait, you said friends with marketing benefits? I thought this was friends with marketing deficits. Uh, yeah, see, you're in the wrong, in oh, the wrong place. That's actually the next the building time. over. I, yeah, right, so, that's going to be a problem. You're already in the studio, though, so yeah. we might as well just, yeah. we'll just run Do you want to hang out? I, I mean, I will. It, I, it involves breaking one of my cardinal rules, and that is to never do an activity after Rob Merritt has of done course. it. Oh, uh, of course. Because I just don't stack up well. It really works better for everyone to do it the other way around. Uh, but uh, since I am here, I guess we'll just proceed. We won't tell Rob. Well, you, well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. I feel like Rob's going to find out. He always finds out. He it, always it, finds out. It's possible. Out. It's possible. I listened to his episode. The least he could do is listen to whatever we exactly. make here today. That's true. That's, That's right. True. So we just got to make it better. Uh, well... All right. Uh, I'll, I'll, because I'm here. It's a challenge. Gauntlet thrown. Gauntlet thrown. I'm going to try not to make it worse. That, that's really... Marketing... Here's my first marketing tip. Marketing is all about managing expectations. Oh. <laughs> Amen. Now, see, that's... I don't mean to get, like, too serious too quickly, because this is a pretty casual, fun show, but that's really... 
actually legitimate advice. Oh, it's great advice. Especially, I mean, uh, we've talked about this a lot from a design perspective when you're working with clients in particular, but managing expectations is really important. And marketing is very challenging because it's difficult to quantify quite what you're doing. What's the return supposed to be? What are we actually doing here? Oh my gosh. Um, So managing expectations uh, for yourself and for others, that's valid insight to launch us off. Well, all right. My work here is done. There you go. All right. (laughs) Yeah. You definitely don't want to overhype something, but you also don't want to undersell something. There's there's that nice little balance that you got to find. And marketing is such an intangible thing to begin with. Right. Absolutely. Well, and I think that that sometimes you're right. We have just sort of we stumbled into something. We go right into stumbled it. right <laughs> in, didn't we? Uh, you know, sometimes the 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 real issue is that the people who are in charge of the product, whatever the product might be, in my case, it, it's uh, the performing arts, uh, may not always know exactly what the product is or what the benefits of the product might be and so right. they they come to the marketing people and sort of ask the marketing people to write or design the benefits into existence that's not really how it works right yeah um, i need at, at the very least i need the the person who wants me to sell this show or this widget or this coca-cola the official soft drink of heaven uh to know <laughs> uh exactly what it is that they're trying to to put out there to the public yeah, that's that's a really interesting point. I think of it as a very symbiotic relationship, right? We we as marketers need something to build off of, need something to market fundamentally, and there needs to be an understanding of prior to the marketer coming in of what that is. We we it's difficult to find that within the marketing process. Yeah, absolutely. I guess a, you know another way that I think about it is that I I remind people that marketing isn't magic. I can't just sell anything or you know make make someone want something if they don't understand what it is or worse if i don't understand what it is when i'm out there trying to to move the needle on it a little bit right like uh i kind of run into that problem a lot where someone's like oh, i want this thing and i'm like i don't know what that thing is and the explanation they give you is incredibly vague or they don't give you one at all like you email a client back and they're, they just never email you again. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm making. I'm going to make something, I guess. <laughs> sure. You as the designer, uh, you as the marketer, if, if you're, if the client, if the creator, if, if the, the person managing the product can't explain to you what it is, how are you supposed to take that and turn that into something else for others? Absolutely. Right. That's very, it's a challenging idea. It's rough. And sometimes so, you just gotta make stuff up. <laughs> At least from my point, but sometimes you just gotta gotta wing just it. Just throw some spaghetti. Really, honestly, sometimes you just kind of do to get them to. What I find, and I don't know how true this is in the marketing world. Sometimes it's just if they don't know what they want, sometimes you can just show them like a, some half baked ideas to be like, let's get the juices flowing. Here's some things you might want to try, maybe do. And then they'll go like, oh, yep, I know what I want now, now that I've seen these things. Yeah, I, you know, certainly in my freelance work, there are an awful lot of clients out there in the world who might not ever be able to quite get to what they want, but yeah. you can show them what they don't want, yeah. and that can help you get yep, yep, to yep. where you're going. Oh, so. yeah. That's exactly it. That's a, uh, I feel like a core principle or a, a tool in your toolbox of sorts, right, is... You know, when you're not quite sure where you're going, let's figure out where we're not going. 
Oh, yeah. Exactly. You know? That kind of applies to a lot of things in life is, like, when someone's not quite sure what to do or if you're maybe you're training someone on something and they're not quite getting it, some of the best things you can do is just to show someone what not to do. And they can go, oh, okay, I'm not going to do that thing, so that leaves these things. So, sure. Yeah. I won't stick the fork in the electrical outlet. Exactly. Right? Exactly. I will use the fork for food. Alex is still learning that one. That's why he's not here today. <laughs> oh. Wow. Alex does not need to be your punching bag. <laughs> There's this like very friendly feud mm. between Craig and Alex, especially on this show, I feel. Oh, yeah. I don't know why. Energy. It just is. I think it's just because it's, I don't know. We That's kind of just how we, we goof around with each other. We just make jabs at one another. It's all, it's all good fun. All right, audience. Uh, I'm going to speak directly to you now through the microphone right into your ears okay alex is not gonna listen to this show (laughs) i could say whatever i want okay we know we know he's not gonna listen to this show so don't tell him about this show okay don't don't do it or craig's gonna be in trouble he's he's bigger than me he'll pile drive me into the ground definitely don't go to the las podcast network facebook page or instagram at las podcast network and maybe you know comment some things like alex listen to friends with marketing benefits this week craig's talking mad smack or hashtag craig versus alex that's no good that's no good don't do that that won't help our numbers definitely (laughs) definitely don't do any of that wink wink nudge nudge all right how often do you find yourself using reverse psychology in your marketing? <laughs> well, less often than you might. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we dove into kind of a fun topic right off the bat. I would love to take a step back and, and reintroduce you. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, who is this who guy? Is this? Why is he here? This voice we keep hearing. I'm pretty sure he's not Merritt. That's all I've learned <laughs> so sure far. This is not Merritt. <laughs> but we're not positive, frankly. We don't know. I, you know. Um, Rob Klein, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, a, a brief overview of who you are today? Who today. I am today. What a well, unique question. Yeah, so... We could start at the beginning or we could start at the end. Let's start with here today. Uh, I am, if I make it to November, I will have been the marketing director at Hancher Auditorium on the University of Iowa campus for 20 years. Um, That's incredible. Yeah, it it, it is kind of shocking to think about, really. And uh, Through a number of disasters. (laughs) Yes, lived through a flood and a pandemic and, you know, my own inability to sell throat singers and all kinds of things. (laughs) um, but, you know, it's been an interesting journey because when they when they hired me, and I'll, I'll tell you a little bit what they hired me from in a moment, but when they hired me, uh, the first marketing director in Hancher history, Judy Hertig, had just been promoted uh, to artistic director, and they brought me on as the assistant marketing director. But there was no marketing director. And so I told people that I worked for Remington Steel, which is a joke that only works with people of a certain age. You are it's not, not us. Hey, it's not, not us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but now you have to explain the joke. Uh, so Remington, before Piers Bronson was James Bond, he was Remington Steele uh, on TV, on NBC. He, uh, a woman opened a detective agency. She couldn't get any clients until she invented Remington Steele. So people thought there was a man in charge. And one day this grifter comes in oh. and adopts that identity, Remington Steele. So there's your 80s TV trivia for tonight. But at any rate, for a while, there was uh, there was an assistant marketing director, but no uh, marketing director. And then they 
I guess you would call it promoted me. They, they, they made me the marketing director, but they didn't hire me an assistant. Uh, and then a little further down the line, during the flood period, they made me uh, the director of marketing and communications, which really just means that in addition to all the marketing for Hancher, we brought all the uh, media relations and public relations in-house as well. I, I really asked, I asked for the title director of misdirection, they, they couldn't find it. give you that one, huh? They couldn't, you know, the, the University of Iowa bureaucracy is not real flexible <laughs> um, with, you know, titles no. like that. So, all so that yeah. work and you couldn't even get, wow. That, yeah, that's right. What a right. shame. That's right. And so, 20 years. 20 years. Let's get a petition let's going. Let's get a petition. <laughs> <laughs> Rob his name. <laughs> Rob needs a promotion. <laughs> to, to director of misdirection. Of misdirection. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. So, I promised to tell you uh, what I was doing before yeah, I went to Hancher. Listen. Yeah, so uh, I actually, I, I went to the University of Iowa where I uh, I majored in the lucrative fields of English and philosophy, uh, unable to find a major philosophical firm with an opening upon my graduation. Uh, I went and uh, got a teaching certificate and taught uh, also at the University of Iowa and taught for one a uh, memorable year in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I taught middle school. That is slightly less glamorous than it sounds. Um, <laughs> and then at the end of that year, uh, my wife Jenny and I, we moved uh, back to Cedar Rapids, and I thought I'd end up teaching somewhere in the in the district. It was my home district, and uh, surely I could land on my feet. Uh, but I was really bad at interviews. I say was really bad. I probably am really bad at interviews, but I haven't had to interview for 20 years. Right. So I don't really know. Um, and so, you know, I was kind of kicking around. I was working in a used bookstore. I was doing some temp work. Uh, and then one day I answered a, a blind ad, uh, wanted editor for a niche publication, and I, I drove up to Vinton, Iowa. And uh, the job was to be the editor of something called the Hawkeye Racing News, uh, which was all about dirt track racing it turns out that that iowa uh is the on a per capita basis the racingest state in the union it's not north carolina it's not florida it's iowa really i never knew that i I would never thought of that either well and and i actually feel a little better because i'm sitting there in this interview and the only track i'm familiar with is hawkeye down exactly that's the only one i know literally the only track i'm familiar with and the uh mike swoboda the man interviewing me he said well uh you know hawkeye downs is paved but all the other tracks in iowa are dirt Oh. And I said, dirt? Can't they afford to pave them? <laughs> Did I mention that I'm bad at interviews? <laughs> or <laughs> really great. <laughs> but uh, I know, would love that. Depends, <laughs> depends who you're talking to. Right. And so, you know, with some twists and some turns, I, have, I, I ended up landing that job. And we sort of made a deal that if I could improve the English in the newspaper, in Hawkeye Racing News, they could make me into a dirt track racing fan. And over the course of the next five <laughs> years, one of us kept our promise. Uh, <laughs> so, so there you go. But uh, a friend of mine, Joel Alberts, was leaving Hancher. He knew I was looking around. And uh, he said I should interview. And I said, yes, Joel, because what the people at the world-class Hancher Auditorium are looking for in a marketing person is an award-winning dirt track <laughs> racing journalist. That's exactly yeah. who I want on my team. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Were you award-winning? I was indeed award-winning. I got to go to Las Vegas and pick what? up my awards. Wow. And, yeah. What? 
yeah, I rode in a in an indie car at two hundred miles an hour and didn't wet myself. It was it was it was good. What? So, yeah, what a what is a wild ride. Yeah. What? we're not skipping like, over these stories. <laughs> Hold on. Not only is Iowa the what was it that like racingest racingest state in the state? union, not raciest. No, not racist. Though we might be that too. (laughs) I mean, if people could just see what the two of you are wearing. Whoa! (laughs) It's an audio format, Rob. (laughs) You see, he could say whatever he wants, and no one will know. That's That's true. true. We've actually made that joke many times. We often wear tuxedos to this show. Yeah, Yeah, I'm actually wearing a tuxedo right now. There you go. It smells kind of weird. You should wash that thing. Uh, No. All right. (laughs) That's going to stop. Okay, but not only are we that, there was a job opening to improve the English in the paper for that and then on top of that you can win an award for that <laughs> it's true what? that that's like that sounds somewhat regional or national you went to vegas you did yeah so you know our, i'm learning a lot about my state right now yeah our <laughs> main our main business for hawkeye racing news were was the the dirt track scene in iowa but also in the surrounding states um and we also covered, you know, the regional series uh, and every, it was a weekly paper uh, during racing season. And every week we would cover uh, that week's, at the time it was still the Winston Cup. Um, you know, I had the job before I realized Winston Cup was named after the cigarette company. I had no oh. idea. Uh, <laughs> they don't call I, it that anymore. Right. I wouldn't have guessed. <laughs> I wouldn't have yeah, guessed that either. Yeah. Uh, and so, like. I was uh, I was still at Hawkeye Racing News when uh, Dale Earnhardt crashed on the last lap of the uh, Daytona 500 and was oh. killed. Um, and you know I'm trying to cover that from my living room. Say the that, readers of Iowa. That was <laughs> something that you felt in your industry. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. He was. Uh, you, you know, you loved him. He, he's one of those guys you love him or you hate him. Uh, and and now it's almost kind of hard to remember that people used to hate him because he's like the patron saint. Uh, but, you know, there was this big rivalry between him and, and at the time, the up-and-comer Jeff Gordon, um, you know, who I got the job. I watched my first Daytona 500. I found out that the guy in the 24 car was the same age as me. And twenty, I was born on May 24th. I'm like, I'm going to root for that guy. There you <laughs> and go. Jeff Gordon goes out and wins the race. I'm like, I am good at this. I'm great. I got this. <laughs> I've got this racing thing down. And then, you know, I, I reported for work and they're like, okay, so these are late models and these are modifieds and these are sprint cars. Uh, and these are hobby stocks and these are stock cars. And they all race in their own divisions and they race around the dirt tracks of Iowa. Different, And I could go on and on. But uh what that means is that weekly I would go out and I'd stand in the infield of some dirt track and uh, try, A, not to be killed, and uh, B, you know, try to see what was actually happening because it is really the the only sport where the audience needs a shower as badly as the participants <laughs> at the end of the night, right? And, you know, I it actually... Here, here's another Rob Maxim. There is no wasted time, right? Oh. So I spent those five years writing a weekly column about something that when I started doing it, I knew literally nothing about. Uh, and those five years, I got a ton better as a writer, not just a writer about dirt track racing, but as a writer. And those were transferable skills when I convinced the people at Hancher Auditorium that, yes, they really did need a dirt track journalist uh, in their in their marketing department. 
There's I, another piece of that story, but I'll save it for later. I sure. find that to be very like true in a lot of things. Like no matter what the job, almost always you can find something that you will learn from that that you can take to other jobs. But uh, it's funny that you say that because when I got my first graphic design job, I literally had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I completely I didn't lie. I stretched the truth a little bit. I did kind of know how Illustrator worked. I took I was taking a class at the time. Was this the library? Yeah, there was a library. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so I worked at the Rod Library for four years. Four years? Yeah. Uh, God, how long was I in school? I don't remember. <laughs> Feels like decades. But in that time, I learned a lot about graphic design. And it, I, I was able to transfer that to like different uh, aspects of other jobs and be like, yeah, I did these... I worked in this tiny, like not tiny, but I worked in this library making all these like tiny little graphics, and I learned a lot in this time. So I don't know. It's 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 really neat that you can even jobs that you start out knowing literally nothing about, you can kind of learn a lot from them, and then take those skills and go on to bigger and better things. Sure, just learn by doing. Oh yeah, exactly. Right? That's exactly right. I think that's a marketing mantra in general. Right, I think there's something there. We we try things, we A/B test, we we just try to figure out what works and follow that. Right, oh, yeah. whatever wherever that's leading us, we're going to go that direction. And it, it I, in my experience, at least, the thing that works never seems to be the thing I think will work. Sure, right. <laughs> well, surely, Absolutely. surely this is the path. But no, it's often this thing over here that is the path. Yeah. And that I think, Craig, you did a good job of of saying earlier that. Um, some of the things we're talking about apply to life. And I think what you just said applies to life as well. Oh, yeah. Right? Um, you are are a marketer and you've applied a lot, I'm sure, of your writing experience to that. Uh, but before we dive into Hancher and, and your career there, a, a long and um, <laughs> I'm sure filled with incredible stories career, um, my first interaction with you was as a writer. Because uh, I mentioned this to you, um, you were writing... Uh, local theater reviews, and I was one of those people up there trying to make theater. Yes, yes, this is how I have become so popular here in the community, <laughs> uh, by reviewing artists. Uh, yeah, you know, when I was still at Hawkeye Racing News, uh, there was a, a, well, if you're familiar with the publication Little Village, yep. its predecessor was called Icon, uh, and I was at our local Barnes & Noble here, and I saw a sign that said Icon needed book reviewers. And I'm like, ooh, this old English major can be a book reviewer. And so I contacted them down there. They sent me a stack of books, and they didn't really give me a ton of direction. So I picked out the very first book I reviewed was The Red Hunter by William F. Buckley. Uh, which is not a logical choice for Icon, really. The, you know, the world's uh, foremost movement conservative and independent journalism in Iowa City. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I wrote it and they liked it. And, uh, you know, soon enough I was, I was writing, I was writing a, a review for pretty much every issue. Uh, and then they started sending me out to theater and, uh, to the visual arts, uh, toward the end when they were starting to sell off the, the paper, there were issues where it felt like I wrote the, I did everything but draw the cartoon. Uh, <laughs> and, and then, so Icon sort of faded away after it, it was sold. And then some people from the Icon legacy created Little Village, which has just celebrated its 20th, uh, anniversary, um, under the 
brilliant direction, really. Don't tell him I said so. Matt Steele, who just uh, is going with his wife to Olympia, Washington, and has uh, put the spectacular Genevieve Trainer in charge as the publisher. Um, But yes, all of that is to say, yes, I uh, was writing lots of reviews for Icon. Eventually, I became the book reviewer for the Iowa Source, which I still do. Um, I went to to Joe Jennison at the Gazette when he was uh, arts editor there, and I said, listen, you can't be the paper of record in the most important writing community in the United States uh, and only publish wire reviews. That's not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and and so Joe gave me an opportunity uh, to review for the Gazette. And that, too, eventually morphed into uh, writing theater reviews and art reviews and whatnot. Uh, the Gazette has, in recent years, cut way, way back on a lot of things. The heroic Diana Nolan is still out there. Of uh, course. Covering our art scene uh just brilliantly, but uh, there's a little, there's quite a bit less freelance work going on. Uh, but just the other night, Little Village sent me out to to review Winter's Tale uh, for the River, the Riverside Theater production of Winter's Tale, and it was very nice to be back in the audience with a notebook uh, and my my judgy face. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine that just sounds like a hoot and holler and good time. Yeah, you betcha. Well, I personally <laughs> oh, yeah. thoroughly enjoyed your writing and your reviews. I know oh, you've also you. um, done some. Uh, uh, book publishing, writing and publishing on the side as well, right? Yeah, so in the... Because I see it. I see your book when I go to <laughs> see it. the bookstore. I'm looking at it every time I'm there. Okay, <laughs> It's right so... here in front of me. I see it when I sleep. <laughs> see, that, that's actually part of the marketing. You see it. And then the next step... Logan, is that you pick it up. Oh. <laughs> See, that's we're, why I can never get books to work. This is the good stuff. <laughs> right, we're right. learning this right here. This is what we're right, really right. learning here. And then, Scratch uh, everything else. Right. The episode starts now. And then then Bart it at Next Page or uh, Amanda out in the new store in Marion, uh, you know, they'll happily sell you said book. Said book uh, is called Murder by the Slice, and it is uh, based a little loosely, but also sort of specifically on my high school and college career as a pizza delivery driver. I started it uh, in the early 1990s, and then I put it away, and then my friend uh, Lennox Randon um, came along and said, hey, your wife says you're working on a book. And I said, well, I'm not working on the book, right? (laughs) There there is a book. In fact, I think what Jenny actually said was, (laughs) yeah, Rob started a book once, and and Randon was working on a book. He just lost his... his space for working. He was working down at the the Cedar Rapids Library, going in and working on his chapters, and the flood took right. that away. And so he was looking for a, a new way to get himself started again. And he and he came to me and he said, "What I think we should do is we should get together every week, uh, and we should, uh, you know, write during the week and then trade our pages and give each other advice and encouragement." And I said, "What any aspiring writer who hadn't worked on his book in over a decade would say." I said, "No." <laughs> And uh, he said, well, let's go to this football game. And so <laughs> we went to uh, to see my, uh, I say my beloved Hawkeyes, but what I really mean is my beloved Hawkeye marching band uh, mm-hmm. at Kinnick Stadium. And we sat up where the fancy people sit. And uh, he reminded me that, that he had been battling a um, pretty severe form of, of stomach cancer. Right. And he said, so what I think we should do is we should get together every weekend. <laughs> like, 
damn it. <laughs> no saying no to that one. Right? You're like, oh, yep. Yep. Yeah, All right. Yeah. And so, and so we did that. Uh, and, uh, you know, three or four weeks, I was cheating. I had pages, right? So I, from the first time I tried to write the book. And then one day as I'm leaving, he says, uh, that was a great session, Rob. Next week, we, we should each try to have four pages. And I'm like, four pages? <laughs> Who is this guy kidding? But but the thing of it is, is that if you write four pages a week, eventually you have a book. You know? Sure. That's, that's fair. And that's fair. Along, There's some marketing and life advice for you right there. there write four go. pages right. every week. There you go. And along the way, we, uh, we decided that, well, you know, we remember Schoolhouse Rock. Three is a magic number. And so we asked the, the great Dennis Green of uh, KCCK fame. Um, right. To be our third member, we eventually started calling ourselves The Writing Lads, uh, and we all published a first book, and we all published a second book, and we gave Randon the famous author treatment as best we could, uh, you know, did the Prairie Lights thing and the Next Page Books thing, and did readings in Des Moines and Decorah, and uh, Mary Sharp reviewed our books in the Gazette, and, uh, you know, it was... It, we lost Randon eventually, because yeah, that's the nature of terminal cancer. Um, but man, while we were doing it, it seemed like that guy might outlive us all. Um, and and it is certainly, you can tell I'm <laughs> kind of emotional trying to talk about it. Sure. Uh, I miss Randon a lot. Uh, he went by his last name, even his, his wife called him Randon, uh, because he had been a cop in Houston and everyone went by their last name. Um, but at any rate, uh, Randon's two books, he's got a uh, sort of a buddy cop uh, witness protection book called uh, Friends, Dogs, Bullets, Lovers. And then his dream project was sort of a, a variation on a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court. He imagines a, uh, a middle-aged white woman who gets in a car accident and wakes up as a uh, a 16-year-old African-American boy um, who needs Harriet Tubman's help to escape the slavery situation into which he, uh, he or she or the person has found himself. Uh, th- that book is uh, cleverly titled Memoirs of a Dead White Chick, uh, and I cannot recommend it highly enough. As long as I'm marketing the lad's books, uh, Dennis's books, uh, he has a trilogy. It's called the Traveler Trilogy. The first book uh, is, or the Traveler Chronicles, the first book is called Traveler. Uh, you might sense a theme here. And, uh, <laughs> and it is about a man named Trav. Hmm. Oh who, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah. Who is a uh, an officer of the law, and who discovers that his reality sort of forks off into different directions, and that sometimes he's here with these people, and sometimes he's here with these other people, and he's not sure what's going on or how to control it. But what he does know is that he keeps encountering versions of himself, and some of those versions of himself seem intent on killing him. Oh, good. Uh, yes. It's not, you know, it's not what you, you hope for when you get up in the morning. Uh, but it is what happens to Trav over three really spectacular books. So if you're into the sort of sliders thing or, you know, if you're a Trekkie like myself, these books are for you. So uh, Lennox Randon, Dennis Green. I'm Rob Klein, and you can <laughs> find our books uh, in the local stores. And also, you know, if, if you must, if you must, you can order them from giant corporations who are destroying the planet and sending their CEOs into space. But <laughs> not would, naming names or anything. <laughs> I would encourage you to find them in your local bookstore. 
Well, let's take a really quick break. And when we come back, uh, we'll keep talking with Rob about Hancher. I want to ask some more questions about writing and marketing in particular. And I'm sure we're going to find some more hidden gems along the way. But uh, before we get to all of that, let's check in with a couple of sponsors. Hi, old friends. Naomi here. Did you wake up this morning thinking, I need more Naomi ridiculousness in my life? Well, surprise! (laughs) I'm starting a podcast, and it's called The Ruckus with me, Naomi Ruckus Rose. This podcast is for anyone like me who is constantly trying to grow for the betterment of themselves and for the world and for those of us that can be a little blunt in the comment section on Facebook and Instagram. This podcast is produced and distributed by the LAS Podcast Network right here in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. But wait, there's more. This podcast is free to listen to. But if you want to support local creators and get bonus content, subscribe to LAS Plus. For more information on that, go to LASpodcastnetwork.com. So join the ruckus with me, Naomi, every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you find your podcasts. I love you all, some more than others. L-A-S. Hello, everybody. My name is James. And I am Sarah. And and we we are are full of BS. BS. Which is why we're starting a new podcast called A Load of BS. We probably want to tell them what BS is, though, James. What do you mean? Everybody knows what BS is. No, we got to tell them what BS means. It's brand strategy. Everybody knows that. I mean, it could potentially mean something else. Like what? Boat snack? (laughs) Bucket sauce? I don't don't know. Everybody knows it's brand strategy. That's it. That's, That's what I heard on the streets. I, I guess. Okay, well, now you know. You can be full of brand strategy, too. So if you want to be full of BS, too, I would recommend checking out our podcast, which will be coming out every second and fourth Wednesday of the month, produced by the LAS Podcast Network right here in Cedar Rapids. For more information, visit LASpodcastnetwork.com. For bonus episodes of this show, ad-free versions of LAS Podcast, and many other exclusive benefits, all while supporting local creators and businesses, consider subscribing to LAS Plus for just $10 a month. To learn more and get started, visit LASpodcastnetwork.com. We all can be full of BS together. Come join us. I've been told that I'm full of BS a lot. It's true. I stand by that. (laughs) (laughs) That's from Moana, remember? And he's like, holds the chicken up. He's like, boat snack. (laughs) L-A-S. Welcome on back to Friends with Marketing Benefits. We're talking with Rob Klein of Hancher fame and writing and all that good stuff. And and when we left off, Rob, um, you had just told the story of the writing lads and, and writing and publishing uh, your book. And I really appreciate you telling us that story because it's, it's really a wonderful one. And I, I do want to take this opportunity to... Um, dive into something a little marketing related um, as we talk about writing and before we dive into Hancher and some stories and experiences there. Uh, you've been writing now for a long time. Like we mm. said, you've you've um, published some books. You've uh, been reviewing and writing for publications for a long time. I'm sure that those skills have also applied themselves quite a bit into your marketing work on a regular basis. Absolutely. Um, when... And I find myself as a marketer writing constantly, mm-hmm. right? Writing a lot of copy, writing a lot of um, 
presentational text and, you know, whatever it might be. And I, I want to pose kind of a broad question to you, and I want you to, to just take us with you and your thought process on this. But as people are marketing and writing for their marketing, mm. what are they missing? What are they not considering? Because I feel like there, I feel like maybe we uh, think of, or maybe we don't think about our writing enough when we do that type of work. And, and I wonder if you have thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's interesting because writing is, you know, we all go through school learning to write to one degree or another uh, and turning in our papers and all of those things. But what I always tell aspiring copywriters uh, is that the, the world is full of really bad writers. And so if you can be a good writer, uh, then there are lots of opportunities, not just in copywriting, but in ghosting and, you know, writing books and all of those sorts of things. Um, what makes a good writer? I, well, first and foremost, it, it helps to have a solid grasp of the actual I hesitate to call them this but they are the the rules of writing right like you want to try to avoid embarrassing yourself and, and your your company or your product by misstating uh, because you have used a word that you think means one thing that really means another um, or that isn't as precise as it could be. And I guess that's the, the second thing. And, and I can hear people who work with me, if they were listening, they'd be, they'd be, you're going to talk about clarity, aren't you, Mr. Overwriter? <laughs> and, and yes, I am going to talk about clarity and also acknowledge that I am a lover of the ornate overwritten 57 word sentence, uh, but that's not always the, the right marketing move, right? Sure. You, that the, the right marketing move is clarity uh, so that people know what you are offering them and what you'd like them to do about it. Um, and I think that sometimes, obviously, we, we want the writing to be memorable or to have a, a style that, uh, that reflects your organization that's on brand, as we say. Um, but all of that, I think, is, is secondary to the notion that you have something to tell people and you want them to understand what that thing is. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. I, th I think that I've really been thinking about it a lot lately uh, with the help of my coworker, uh, Chewy Renteria, who is the public engagement coordinator at Hancher and who has a book of his own coming out uh, about growing up in West Liberty, the first minority majority town in Iowa. Um, Chewy reminded me not too long ago that there's a tendency at Hancher to write in a sort of, well, an arty and also sort of, you know we work at a university, right? Sort of way. Yeah. Uh, and I'm really comfortable in that voice with the the slightly too fancy words. The hoity-toity words hoity yeah, coming the, out of his mouth. The extra commas, <laughs> and I, I like a well-placed semicolon. But, you know, Chewy has really reminded me that marketing language, particularly in, in this moment, and it really should have been true all along, is also about access, right? Uh, in, in Chewy's particular case, uh, he was talking about his mom, who is an immigrant from Mexico and has some English, but doesn't have a ton of that sort of academic arty right 
uh, English. And so I want Chewie's mom to know that we want her to come to Hancher, right? Right. And so that means not, and I want to be really clear, I am not talking about dumbing down, but I am talking about finding the right voice uh, to send the message that that everyone is welcome it's such an important part of working in the arts right that we used to uh, i used to when i went to work at hancher it, it was still sort of the only game in iowa city there was no Englert yet there was no riverside casino uh there was riverside theater and a few other things but you know there was there was hancher and and i coming in as a, the new assistant marketing director thought that my job was to remind people that the arts are aspirational and i think for a long long time we thought of the arts as aspirational you know you you improve yourself and you go to see and be seen and you know this is important stuff but in fact the arts aren't they shouldn't be aspirational the arts really are for everybody and so you don't this is a long way around your question, Logan, but you don't want to, to write like you're for a certain group of exclusive people when your message is, we really want you all to come. All of you. Yes, I know you've never heard of that artist. Trust us, we want you to come. <laughs> yeah, I think that really goes back to that idea of who are you talking to? Why are you talking to them about it? Right, and what are your goals? Yeah, oh, yeah. I think one of the uh, one of the most important lessons I ever learned in any English class was in high school with my college English teacher. He said, "It's not the words you use; it's how you use the words." And he, he told a story about a kid who uh, knew all these fancy words and stuff like that, and like he got great grades on all his papers and stuff like that. When he got into his class, and the dude gave him like D's and mm. C's and uh, his mom was fierce. She's like, but he knows he's got this such a good grasp of the English language, stuff like that. And the professor was like, yeah, but he's not saying anything. Right. <laughs> like, like there, you can, you, you can talk this talk and all this kind of stuff and, 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 you know, extrapolate upon sentences that mean absolutely nothing in the end, because all you did was just say a bunch of big words that a, no one understands. And B, when you get right down to like what they actually mean, I mean nothing. You're saying a bunch of nothing. And so I, I think it's important when everyone, whenever anyone's writing anything to just kind of take a step back and look at what exactly am I saying right now in this sentence? Like, what does it say? Like, what even does this mean right now? So. Yeah, and I, I think that that's so important in the, in the marketing arena, even when we know that, that one of the marketing tricks, right, is to is to create a slogan so universal and so vague that it could mean anything like what the hell does just do it just mean? do it <laughs> and, and, and actually the the word it is 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 sort of magical right i'm it. loving it just do, do it. it uh but when you actually want me to buy your hamburger or your swooshy clothes you're gonna have to you know, I might remember your slogan, but you're going to have to tell me something clear about the product itself. Right. So, but now I think they've. Well, you know, let's go down this rabbit hole for just a <laughs> moment. Um, when you think of just do it, what do you picture now? Yeah, you're stuck with the the swoosh the in swoosh. your in your head. Right. There's iconography that they've attached to Mikey. it, and um, they've certainly attached a sense of story to that as well. Right. When you, or at least when I think about. Nike, uh, who's who we're talking about, right? Um, with <laughs> not just a do it and the swoop. <laughs> Hashtag not a sponsor. Um, 
I, I do think of a specific type of product, a quality of product related to certain sports and mm-hmm. certain types of usage, right? And there's a specific story that's been been um, closely allocated to just do it. So I think that's really interesting to think about is, is yes, you've told us just do it. No, I don't necessarily know what that means. It's broad and it's vague, but you've attached something specific to and it a, that that gives us a, a story in our heads and a quick quick tip to that they can do that because they already had like a, a brand and all that kind of stuff going for them uh, a lot of the times some smaller companies will try to start out with the vague thing and it, like, it's like yeah but no one knows who you are yet and so no one knows what you're trying to sell at all sure. <laughs> yeah although to that that point i mean one of the the things that i think makes makes Nike so smart with the the Just Do It campaign is how patient they have been, right? For years, for the the first half of my career at Hancher, we changed our slogan every year because... Well, because that's what we did. We changed our slogan every year. Sure. And and people... at least we had convinced ourselves that people were sitting around waiting for our brochure to arrive in April to find out what the new theme What's was. What's the slogan right. this year? Right. And I mean, maybe that's nice to, I sure put a lot of hours into trying to figure it out and to, you know, convince, to tell my coworkers why it's getting hot in here is not a good slogan for Hancher Auditorium. <laughs> um, but it's an amazing slogan <laughs> at the same time. I feel like I, I wish I was in that room. So uh, I'll, I'll tell that story quickly. I, we're, we're trying to figure out, uh, it's a season, I wish I could remember the year, but what I remember about the season is that uh, there were a lot of, uh, we were very proud of the number of female artists we were presenting, and there was quite a bit of sizzle, and uh, one of my coworkers uh, said, well, what if the slogan was, it, it's getting hot in here? And I'm like, no, that, that can't be the slogan. And she's like, I don't understand why that can't be the slogan. And I said, listen, it's like making whoopee. The slogan can't be making whoopee. And and she's like, I don't understand what you mean. So I called Hal, Hal Eyed, who, uh, who for many, many years worked in the Hancher Box office. I called down to Hal and I said, Hal, I need you to do me a favor. I'm going to say something and I need you to repeat it so that all of your UI student cashiers who work with you in the box office hear you say it. Hal was always game for anything. And so I said, it's getting hot in here. And he turned around and he said, hey, everybody, it's getting hot in here. And all of them, you know what they did. They all said, so <laughs> take, take off, off all, all your clothes. clothes. Yep. And so that's why that didn't become the Hancher <laughs> See, that would have to be the, the slogan like the the following year. <laughs> right, right, right. So take off all your clothes. <laughs> so take right. off part two. Or you just do it, it's getting hot in here, and then like the next slogan is just like, help, it's engulfing the building. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <It's explosive. laughs> but think about all of the different connotations to what you are putting yeah. in. Right, and, but, but somewhere back earlier in this winding road I have gone down. I was talking about patience and imbuing, right. uh, you know, the, you're, you're quite right that the, the swoosh and the just do it have acquired a story and they have stayed with it because no logo, no slogan, per, you know, unless it's super long and has a colon in it, is wholly explanatory of what you're trying to communicate. And so you need to give it the time 
to uh, acquire that meaning. And that's why, you know, really in, in my time at Hancher, our slogan uh, during the flood years was can't contain us. And we rode that slogan in, until upper management got bored with it. Uh, but for, a, for six years, seven years, and it is the slogan people speak back to me. And, you know, that's a, that's a, an old marketing rule that just about the time you're bored with your slogan, people are finally starting to, to get it in their brain. And so you should, should get over your own board boredom and ride that horse. And that's what Nike has been doing. I think what, what, we often find happening is like you got the the new slogan it's there it's fancy and people don't know it yet and then like by the time you hit that boredom point people are starting to recognize it and then if you keep it going longer like you'll hit this little lull where people are like that's the slogan that's the slogan and then it be- starts to become a nostalgic thing where it's like oh yeah that's that slogan yeah, yeah. and like people so it's like oh yeah it's, that's that slogan back from blah, 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 blah. it's why we talk about like jingles all the time or weird commercials that we're nostalgic for exactly. from you know even if at the time they didn't do so hot maybe not but like later in the future, people people be like, "Oh yeah, the the what was the the Taco Bell weird chinchilla things? Was that Taco no, Bell? No, that was Quiznos. The, oh my yes, nightmare yeah. fuel. Do you remember those? <laughs> oh, my I, wife sings it all the time. There, yes. Quiznos subs. Yeah, horrifying. They were they horrifying. Awful. Horrifying. Yeah, the 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 Chihuahua for Taco Bell. Yo quiero Taco Bell. Uh, yeah, that. that's what that was. What the Chihuahua was. <laughs> yeah. No, I knew what you were talking about. I'm connecting the dots. Now. Yeah, there you go. Um, so we've we've gotten to Hancher yeah. in your story. I've heard of that place. Uh, <laughs> once or twice, <laughs> yeah. maybe. Um, and I think that it might be a, a bit of a challenge for us to encapsulate 20 years of marketing experience <laughs> into the remaining um, 10 to 15 minutes of this episode. But I wonder if if we could task you with a challenge and say, if you were to make the assumption that you'll have the opportunity to share more insight in the future. Mm. But if you had to say something today that, that maybe was a major takeaway for you over the last 20 years of marketing that other young marketers, such as that's us or those listening might be able to apply to what they're doing. Are there, is there anything that jumps to the top of your mind as, as something you've learned or experienced or, or have applied in the last 20 years that might be valuable to others? <sighs> I don't know. It, it might be the opposite of, <laughs> of valuable. <laughs> Here's something I think about a lot uh, in the arts. You know, most of our, when, you, when you're in a classroom learning about marketing or if you're reading Seth Godin's blog or, or whatever it is, um, you're getting a lot of news about uh, target demos and what Seth calls the minimum viable audience mm-hmm. and, you know, talking to, talking to your people and not talking to other people because the other people don't care. Well, if you're the marketing director for a performing arts center at the University of Iowa who believes that the performing arts are forever everybody and that they change our lives uh, in significant, meaningful ways uh, in you know, I, I compare I compare the arts to uh, whatever uh, religion someone might practice, right? You know, we, we come together as a community, we have this communal experience, uh, and and we come away changed. We come away with things to talk about and with questions, and sometimes we come away angry or confused or 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 I've 
come away angry, confused, and bored, all from the same Hancher show. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, that's sort of the beauty of of the performing arts. But but there's a tension there, right, between like I really want everyone to feel like Hancher is for them, and even though we're a nonprofit and we're not responsible to a, a, a board or to shareholders, we also have to keep the lights on. Right. Right. And so what are the, what are the, the strategies, um, that, that can, that can be both. And, and I think when I first started to make some progress in my own thinking about this was during the flood years when someone, uh, cold called me, uh, which, um, hashtag don't cold call Rob. Uh, that is a, <laughs> and <laughs> there's one thing worse you can do. And that is don't show up at the auditorium without an appointment. <laughs> oh, I hate that. Uh, anyway, hashtag. yeah. Hashtag. <laughs> this, it's a little long, but it, we'll it, workshop it's, it. it's a little long. That's true. Um, fellow calls me up and he's pitching me his new magazine and and he says listen it goes to all the most affluent uh zip codes and addresses in lynn county and i was and i remember saying to him that's not who i'm trying to reach and and i kind of you could still hang up the phone then (laughs) 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 And, and and i did and and I thought to myself afterward, I thought, well, where did that come from? Of course, you have to sell Broadway tickets to people who can afford Broadway tickets. That's the, the nature of the game that you're playing. But, sure. but it was sort of in that moment that I thought, oh, yes, that's what I believe. I know that there are barriers to attendance, but I want my marketing to work toward breaking those barriers uh, down. Now, what that means uh, in a in a for profit situation, or when there are are stockholders to keep happy, I'm not really sure. But in the nonprofit world, I think that all marketers are well served by trying to wrestle with the cognitive dissonance of like, I got to sell this to people who will buy it, and I really want to change the world. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, how's that for not very helpful? I think it was very helpful. I think about. Um, for example, our nonprofit, um, or not a nonprofit, we're not a nonprofit, our um, podcasting network right here, right? Yeah. Um, you and I both come from previous nonprofit work, though. We do. And uh, and I think that we bring a bit of a nonprofit mentality to this work. And so. It's a nice mentality to have. Well, along with that comes that cognitive dissonance of. Need to make money. Need must to sell. pay bills. Must sell advertising. But also want to change everything. But really, we took a long time at the beginning of this process to decide what are our mission, vision, and values. Mm-hmm. Who are we? Who do we want to be? And why do we want to do this? What's the reason? The answer was not to make money. Correct. <laughs> well, I think I think that's one of those unspoken things. It stays on the list always, <laughs> it's right? On, it's always there. Um, <laughs> I don't know, guys. This is easily the swankiest studio I've been in today. <laughs> do you like yeah. the, Do you like the golden fountain that we put I, up outside? It, that was a nice. It's, touch. it's a nice touch. Well, Logan was trying to convince me that that was too much, but I said, "No, no, no. The diamond encrusted eyed lion is a must, Logan." 
It gives off an air of professionalism. You know, I I've... don't care that it spits out wine instead of water. I know it's expensive, but it's worth it. I'm pretty sure Logan was trying to say something meaningful and deep when you and I jumped in there and blew it all to hell. That's what I'm here for, baby. Woo! That is what we keep Craig around for. Hashtag Craig versus Alex. Um, I, Rob was eyeing the way that I just threaded the rope lights through the ceiling. Uh, because I couldn't hang them up when we started. Um, we'll get them hung up better eventually. It's a startup. It's anyway, wonderful. Uh, but there is that balance between needing to do the work because we need to to do the work, right? Yeah. But also, why do we do the work? And what is our uh, our personal mission there? And I think that the best and most successful projects are the ones that are always aware of both mm-hmm. right and take both into consideration because there's a world where those things work nonprofit does not inherently mean that you end every year in the red right right that's just that's not true right mm-hmm. and and if you believe that it is let me tell you now that is a a, um, a misconception yeah yeah and and you know it, it's interesting because you're right that is a misconception and there is also particularly in the it, for the kind of presenter we are there are also misperceptions about how the money flows sure right? Right. Like, well you just pre- presented Christian Chenoweth you must have made a lot of money <laughs> that's really really funny right because no one no one thinks about Christian Chenoweth's fee or what we would have to charge for yeah. tickets to actually match that fee and all the mm-hmm. the associate the marketing costs and the production costs and 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 all of those things and so no one ever thinks about or, or most people don't think about contributed income and you know grants and all the ways that nonprofits cobble together the money to do the work that we that we feel is important for our communities whether it, it's Christian Chenoweth or Jazz at Lincoln Center or or throat singers from Mongolia who I gotta tell you that was a hell of a show uh, that sounds awesome rock and roll throat singing I, I cannot recommend that's it craig's jam for that sure. absolutely um and so you know i think that the money piece uh, of nonprofit work is really mysterious uh to those who don't do nonprofit work and that we sometimes do ourselves a disservice by i think it's a disservice there are many many people who will disagree with what i am about to say but i feel like we do ourselves a disservice when we lean hard into look at the economic impact of the arts yeah Yeah. right because i've 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 said this in a meeting and gotten looked at askance but you you know we get you've been to these meetings look and you get dragged into those meetings where the economic development people want to talk to the arts people about how the arts people can help with economic development and and i said in a meeting one day i said you know i i look around and i notice that there are no priests or preachers or rabbis or imams here you're not asking them how they can help you sell donuts on sunday or saturday and yet you want to talk to me about how i can help fill the restaurants on friday night well i want the restaurants to be full on friday night but it's not my job right, right. my job is to present the arts and to share those arts uh, with as many people as I can so that they can have the experiences I know are available to them. Uh, and so it, it is It is my thought that sometimes, and marketers you know, are often leading the charge, that if you let yourself be sucked into the look at our economic impact trap, uh, that it then becomes much harder to justify your existence on 
aesthetic and cultural good and social justice later, right? Now, now you live in the money pot. Yep. And that's not where I think the art should live. Hey, did I get on my soapbox? <laughs> I didn't even know, I didn't even I know like there was going to be a soapbox. You did a really good job of never saying selling out. Ah, <laughs> oh, selling out. Yes. Well, yes. Thank you. <laughs> but I heard it in there. I heard it in there. Oh, yeah. um, this has been really fantastic, Rob. Uh, I don't know about that. Let's wait till Merritt's review comes Let, Yep. yep. <laughs> That's what we need is we need Rob Merritt to, to write up a review uh, critiquing this show um, in the same way that Rob Klein would do a review of, um, let's say, Logan um, being young and on stage in Jesus Christ Superstar. I think that'd be great. Did I give Logan a middling review? Is that a, a No, thing I, I didn't did? get a shout out. Oh, no. oh even worse. The, no. the unkindest Jeez. cut. You know what? Here's a thing about Rob Merritt that I resent. <laughs> you want to know a thing about Rob Merritt I resent? I write reviews for years and years and years and years. He writes one snarky set of par- paragraphs about the Cats movie, yes. and he is the most famous reviewer in the world. <laughs> that? Oh, that man. Wow. God, that's funny. <laughs> All right, here's what I want to do, because th- I think this is too fun. Um, um, okay, let's do let's do this. I'm figuring out as we go. Uh, once you listen to this episode, go to our Facebook page, LAS Podcast Network, um, or our Instagram. We'll post it both places. You're going to see a post uh, where we're going to say, um, well, we'll post this audio clip, actually, of Rob calling out Rob. Okay. Rob versus we're gonna, Rob. We're going we're gonna to throw some gasoline on this feud. <laughs> and I want you, if you go into the comment section of that post, you put hashtag Rob versus Rob, okay? Um, we will pick one of you and, and we'll... Let's give away a gift card to uh, to um, Next Page Books. Ooh, Ooh I like let's that. Let's do that. And let's maybe you can it. buy uh, Rob Klein's book this. or one of the Writing Lads books or, or something else fun. Because we talked a lot about writing today. I think that feels good. I like it. I like that so, a lot. So let's do that. We'll give away a gift card. Hashtag Rob versus Rob. Go to our Facebook and Instagram and post that. Um, and we'll have a good time. And we'll see if, if we can goad Rob Merritt into a, <laughs> into a reply. I, I don't think you'll have to goad very hard. I don't think it'll be hard. <laughs> I don't think it'll be hard. He'll sniff it out. Yep. Um, Rob, thank you so much for coming on this show. Oh, no. It's been my pleasure. It's such a sincere honor to have you. I've learned so much about Iowa, weirdly enough. I didn't expect that, but I have. You're going to go dirt track racing, <laughs> yeah. aren't you? Aren't you? Wow. There's, a, there's a really great track in Independence, another one in Vinton. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I never knew. Yeah. Not that I'm, I mean, I'm not really into it, but it could be. It could be fun. But you could be. I That's could really be. the. You, you could be. You could I mean, sh- I've heard, could... I've, I watched a YouTube video. Apparently, the feuds in like that kind of racing. Oh, kind of yeah. Stuff get real bad. As they, as they like to say, rubbing is racing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's intense. Is that what they say? That is one of <laughs> the many things they, they say. say. <laughs> rubbing is racing. My favorite, actually, the is that when you're when you're a race car driver, is that the the rule is you go until you see God, and then you turn left. Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's a perfect note to end that. Uh, on that note, we will go until we see God, and then we'll turn. Let me send you home with just a couple of things. First, I want to remind you that Friends with Marketing Benefits is produced and distributed by the LAS Podcast Network right here in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. For more, visit laspodcastnetwork.com. And quick side note, we just announced a bunch of really cool stuff 
some uh, some live events called LAS Live, a ton of new shows that you may have heard advertisements for on this very podcast. So go check those out uh, all on LASpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast, Friends with Marketing Benefits, comes out every Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoy this show, if you enjoy our network, if you like our mission, vision, and values, please consider supporting us and our creators by subscribing to LAS+. Think of it just like Netflix or Disney+, Plus, uh, but for high-quality local podcasts about all sorts of different topics from a diverse uh, group of creators right here in the corridor. For more on that, go to LASpodcastnetwork.com slash plus. Rob, thank you again for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's a blast. And uh, as Rob says, and as they all say, drive on till you see God. (laughs) (laughs) I said turn left. Turn left. (laughs) Turn left. A-S.